Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and now soon to be ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our, our text today is taken from our gospel lesson and I'm going to read these words. He said to them, or later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Here ends our text. That uh, familiar face around Indiana by the name of Bobby Knight would have been an interesting personage to show to somebody who lived a hundred years ago and try to explain how it is that a guy could actually yell and scream at his own players like that and somehow produce a basketball team that could win national championships. How is something like that possible. Well, when one thinks about the objective, that the task of defeating the best basketball teams in the entire country, that possibly he had to dig down deep in each and every one of those players, and somehow through that rebuking that was taking place, that somehow he brought out what was best in them. Maybe just the fact that they feared him more than anything else might mean that they actually could play together better. But there was something of that kind of thing that was going on with Jesus after his resurrection. He is gathering together. He meets his disciples while they were eating, and he rebukes them. And I don't think it was, oh, come on, you guys. I think he was rebuking them for not believing the people who had been witnesses to his resurrection. But one can only understand that kind of chiding, that kind of criticism, if you will, if one understands that somehow this second part of this text that says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, that maybe there's a relationship between that rebuke and the goal that Jesus has of sending his disciples out into the world to bring the world to faith in Christ, to bring them to the waters of baptism that they might be saved eternally from sin and death and hell. A serious business. We would be fortunate, I think, if we had grown up in our lifetime and had somebody who had maybe seen a quality in us, an ability in us, and actually come down pretty hard on us to see to it that that quality or that ability got developed. Maybe it was that English teacher that grabbed you and said, you know, you've got the ability to be able to write. You've got to do it, and you've got to work hard. Maybe it was a coach that said, you know, I can see right now that there's something that you have here, but you've got to get off of your duff and start working. Maybe it was your pastor while you were in confirmation, and your pastor was saying, you have the mind. 
Go into the ministry. Do something with your faith. And sometimes those things get taken as negative things. But they're intended to be positive things because they're things within ourselves that we have to discover and a sinful nature, a lazy nature in our flesh that sometimes needs to be rebuked in order for that to emerge. But here we're not talking about Jesus telling the disciples that they have something within themselves that they need to be able to develop. He was pointing out that they needed to recognize him and who he was and his power and his presence that would be with them and to understand the full implications of what it is that that resurrection meant as it pertained also to the task that was going to be laid before them of going out into the world and preaching the gospel to all creation that men and women and children might be saved from eternal death and condemnation. Imagine what that means and how significant that task is. One can understand why these disciples would be described as unbelieving disciples, apistoic, those who could not grasp by faith what it is that was right there before him. It seems logical to us, doesn't it? That reason and sense doesn't understand the resurrection. How is it that somebody whose body was bloodied and killed and stabbed with a spear and nailed to the cross, how could this person who hung his head and said, it is finished, and there were earthquakes all around, how could he come back from the dead? Just a matter of a couple of days later. What does reason and sense make out of this guy who could walk up to the tomb of Lazarus and say, come forth, and yet he could not even on that cross come down and say, I've won. What does reason and sense make out of the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily in a human being who is born as a little tiny baby in some insignificant town in Nazareth, in, in, in Bethlehem? What, is, what does reason and sense make of that? Why wouldn't we find it to be logical that his disciples would find themselves unbelieving? Jesus, though, had told them, didn't he? Repeatedly, what was going to happen? The Son of Man is going to go up to Jerusalem. He's going to be delivered into the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. He's going to be put to death, and he's going to rise again. Right up over the top. They were eyewitnesses to his appearance and life, and yet, in spite of all this, they were without faith. They could not grasp the significance and the big picture of what it is that had just happened in front of them. But yet, strangely, and it's hard to be able to put this into the right words, they also believed. They believed, right? We saw this all along. Jesus said it to Peter. Who do men say that I am? And in the end, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Peter 
flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Yeah, this is the Holy Spirit that was at work in those disciples to believe in him. They knew that he was the eternal second person of the Trinity. John said it later on. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They would have known that he was who he said he was. They believed, and it didn't have to be contrary to reason and sense. They saw the miracles. They saw him at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was transfigured before them, and they knew and understood the scriptures. So the question is like that one that was presented to that man as Jesus came down that mountain. He said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And I think every single one of us know that along with our belief comes to be this, also this unbelief that resides within our own flesh and sometimes has a hard time grasping the significance of this resurrection. The answer to say, how does, how do I somehow get this faith to overcome this unbelief? It has something to do with those words. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Perhaps those disciples needed to have a rebuke in order that they might have confidence in the one who is now sending them into the world to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to all mankind. Unbelieving disciples, unbelieving congregation, you and I are unbelievers too. Unbelievers in this sense, we do not believe the witnesses to the resurrection. There's no difference between the evidence that was given to those disciples and the evidence that is given to us. In fact, we have even more. We've got about 2,000 years worth of tradition and study and learning in the scriptures and in the testimony of those disciples. And we're not just a matter of a couple of days after the resurrection trying to understand it. We've had a lifetime to be able to do it. What would our life be like if we really, really, really grasp the fullness of that resurrection? What would it be like? We would be filled with unbelievable joy from the second that we woke up in the morning until the time that we went to bed and we'd probably even be doing it in our sleep. We would be living with an anxious anticipation of that hope of the resurrection. And every single time that somebody died in the faith, we would be saying, thank God, they get a chance to be able to go to heaven and we are being left behind. We're the ones that we should cry about, not that person who is going to be with Christ now and whose body is going to wait the day of the resurrection. We would probably be living in constant agony not just in the agony and the anticipation of waiting for that day to come, but the agony of those who do not know him and those who do not have that faith and those that do not believe and those who are far off who have never heard. We would be living underneath that burden. And then we would be coming together 
and we would be worshiping God and celebrating before him because the victory has already been won. It's not something that is going to maybe happen in the future. It's already been won. And every time a little baby or a person would be brought to that baptismal font, our eyes of faith would be opened up and we would be saying, there is eternal life and there is salvation. Wow. That's what it would be like if we lived in the fullness of faith and we didn't have to drag this carcass of unbelief around with us all the time. Do we believe? Indeed, even as we said the creed, we do believe it, don't we? believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he is true God and true man and that he came into this world and he has brought about our salvation. He has atoned for our sins. He has forgiven and pardoned us even if we don't grasp it. And he has given us a sure and certain hope that comes from his grace, not something we deserve, not something that we've earned. It is something that he has given to us as his gift that we could never for all of creation even begin to understand. And in that baptismal hope, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We have the words and the promises of God and we believe those too. Yet, even we who believe in him need a kind of a Bobby Knight kind of rebuke. Because this flesh is with us all the time, and this old Adam inside here allows himself to be distracted by the world to be overcome with anxiety, to be people who can't quite put the world into the right perspective. And so we live with the anxieties and the hardships and even the sins that come from our sinful nature convincing us that this is the right way. You know, when it comes to us and our abilities, there is no Bobby Knight kind of exhortation coming from God because we don't have those abilities within ourselves. But we do understand and believe in the full implications of what that Lord and Savior has done for us. Yeah, the teacher, the coach, the pastor, unlike school and sports and spiritual things, we take our courage not from ourselves, we take our courage from God's power and promises that have been given to us in these witnesses to the resurrection. We have the scriptures. We have the witness and the testimony of the apostles and all those who saw him resurrected, sometimes even 500 at once. And we even have the testimony of the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts and tells us that there's something so great and so magnificent that our heart just struggles to try to understand it. It is not, therefore, you can do it. It is Christ has done it for you and will accomplish your goals for you and with you and in you. These were the things that the apostles did. Our text says they went out into the world and they preached the gospel and amazingly throughout the world, men whose hearts had been hardened and could not and would not come to the faith, people who had been enemies, yeah, 
they came to the faith. Not because of who they were, but because of the Christ that they spoke about. This is what it is that will happen to us, and you must accept the so-called rebuke that God gives to you because he also has a goal in mind for the world in which we live. And you too have a place in that goal which God has for the world. The disciples went out and they preached everywhere that he, Jesus, was the one who had won the victory over sin, death, and the devil. And he has given that charge also to you and to me. Now get with it and get out into the world and do it. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.